Hello, welcome to the Box Room Podcast. My name's Marty. Hello, my name is Jen. We're back again doing our little genre favourite fantastic films <laughs> for, yes. for what reason why are we doing this why are we doing this well we thought that we'd bring the box room podcast back because we used to do it about 10 years ago i think probably I, i'm just making that number up but i feel like it's right but we've decided to bring it back mainly to entertain ourselves and also to uh, kind of give it a new kind of structure this series I'm calling it a series, apparently. <laughs> we are taking it in turns to talk about um, a particular genre that we're really keen on. For this first mini-series, I'm talking about folk horror. And last episode, we did The Wicker Man, which was my choice. And today, it is Marty's choice, and we are doing time travel. Do you want to talk about why you love time travel so much? It's, it's one of those things I've always loved. I've, I've always loved be, you know, seeing... There's an atmosphere to it going back in time. It's just different to the now. It's a different time that you're very unfamiliar with, but what you can do there can affect what you know now. Yeah. Which is something that always fascinates The whole paradox It really makes me think into the small hours of the night and have little <laughs> panic attacks. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a really classic science fiction trope, isn't it? There's something really satisfying about time travel and so many films and stories and books uh, and TV series go back to it because it is just really fun. I absolutely love it. The, the, the possibilities of time travel stories are literally limitless. And it's it's just, just the way you, you can set up a absolute devastating fall, but then that's another universe, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you like about it, is the, the idea that you could do, make you know loads of terrible mistakes absolutely. and it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But you can go back and, and try and try and try again, depending on how you believe time travel works. You know, yeah, because that in itself is a big argument, isn't it? Yeah. Because the, there is the whole, the, as you say, the paradox problem of if you go back in time to fix a problem mm. and the problem is fixed, then technically you can't, you won't go back in time to yeah, fix the no, problem because no it doesn't exist. Back, yeah. But- that's that's the multiple kind of universe series. So if you think you have to go back to fix a problem, then you have to you're go splitting back, the time. But you're splitting the end. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, it's really complicated. Um, and there's another argument of of whether you actually physically go back, like Marty McFly did mm. in, in his car, or whether you go back like Quantum Leap style, in, you know, back in time mm. or almost Quantum Leap style into someone's within life, your own lifetime. Within your own lifetime, so <laughs> you would actually like in the butterfly effect. Uh, Oh, yeah. uh, with Ashton Kushti. <laughs> He's actually going back into his own mind when he was younger. Yeah. See, there's so many different ways that you can you can mess about with time travel, isn't there? Mm. I, I love finding a new iteration of it. That's always quite cool. There's there's, there's one film I'd, I'd love to cover um, on a future podcast is The History of Time Travel. It's just a mock documentary. And... Um, if if you don't like those things, it's only about an hour long, so you know what you've got to lose. <laughs> but it's it's absolutely fantastic. I'll, I'll say more about it if we get around to doing yeah, it. But that is that could be a future one. Definitely a new 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 favourite of mine. So what are we doing? What are we talking about today? Oh, it's, it's, today is the Philadelphia Experiment, which is a film I saw back in the day. It's a nineteen eighty three eighty four film. Eighty four, yeah. And I, I can't remember when I when I actually saw it. Maybe it was like if I rented it from a video shop back in the days when we had VHS. Do you remember those video shops, yeah. though? Well, or it could God. have been the guy who came around in, in the in car. In the van. Oh, yeah. you had a car, did you? Yeah, yeah, he had a car. It's like opening up the boot of the car to see anything That's you like. That's not remotely dodgy. It's not, is it? 
They're all legit. They, they all had plastic covers. Wasn't there like, I don't know, this might be something I'm making up or dimly remembering, but it, there was like dodgy copies of things like nine and a half weeks going around. Yeah, and except I thought that was porn or something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry, digression there slightly. <laughs> I just, I really loved video shops when I was a kid. You know, it was really yeah. exciting to go to the local one or Blockbuster and stuff. And you used to, you could often get posters from the video shop because they would be sent them. So yeah. you could go around and get um, film posters from I, I did get a few. When I was working in um, in the off-license back in my youth, I had friends who worked in a little independent video shop. We used to get posters and cutouts mm. and everything all the time. Yeah, it's love brilliant. That. Oh. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, yeah, we're talking about the Philadelphia Experiment. And, yeah, so was there a reason you chose this one? You just really liked it? I just really liked it. I, I think I'm, I'm trying to um, steer away from mainstream... Obvious ones. Ob yeah, yeah, obvious films, because like, one of my big loves is Back to the Future. One of your big loves. Well, yeah, you're my other big <laughs> Oh, am I? Yeah, oh, good. yeah you're I'm glad on, I'm... on the list. Yeah, <laughs> just underneath Back to the Future, that's rude. But yeah, no. So I, I didn't want to go down down that, that that obvious route. So I thought, well, what else is there that I could think about it. and it's the one that keeps popping into my head anyway is Philadelphia Experiment, and I thought, you know, how great it would be to revisit it. And there's always mm. a danger when you revisit something. It's you know, everyone has this this conversation. So like, oh, it yeah. doesn't stand up very well. You know, I wish I hadn't. You know, I wish I'd kept the golden memory of my. You know, <laughs> when I watched it when I was a wee bear. Oh. And I, yeah, so and I haven't seen I hadn't seen the Philadelphia experiment before at all. Uh, so it was a good one. Um, so, so, yeah, so it's good to you. I think it's a nice one to introduce you to and remember myself. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to give a synopsis of what the Philadelphia experiment is about? It's, it's basically it's, it's, uh, it's it starts in the in the 40s um, where they are um, in the middle of war. And they try, there's an experiment to make their big Navy ship invisible to radar yeah. so they can have an advantage over, over the enemy, obviously. But something goes completely wrong and two, two main protagonists, <laughs> fellas of, of yeah, the two, uh, two 40s sailors um, are catapulted to 1984. Yes. Basically. That, cool. And uh, then they have to, you know... Well, find out what's going on and how to get back, I suppose, yeah. is the the main thing. But then they bump into a woman called Alison, I think, uh, and she kind of gets dragged into their story as well. So that was, yeah. So we watched it yesterday, didn't we? And what was it like watching it again now? Did you enjoy it? I, I, I did. I think the um, it, I, I, I could understand why I liked it. Yeah, it was it was it was you know a cracking film, cracking story, but you kind of forget with the eyes of youth how badly they did the forties hair. <laughs> yeah, it was like these these couple of um, sailors from from the forties basically looked like they're already from the eighties from the start. Yeah, I, the, well, the very first note I made uh, while I was making notes yesterday was dubious haircuts for the forties. <laughs> I think the main guy kind of gets away with it, but the opening scenes it's, where they're still too too long, <laughs> far too long. Yeah, the opening scenes where they're having a um, a little do, you know. Yeah. All of the women have got some, you know, some wild eighties perms going on, which I'm <laughs> not entirely sure is accurate. I think I, there's one woman with like a forties period haircut. Yeah, like, they, they tried. They tried. They tried there on, was, on all one. of the yeah. There was like one woman in the in the makeup department uh, who knew 
how to do that haircut and they spent all day on it or something. <laughs> they couldn't be bothered to do anyone else's after <laughs> yeah. that. Yes, oh, we're losing the light. Yes. But I think that's that's a common complaint about that. They didn't you know, service the uh, the period 40s very well. No, but I, for me personally watching it, I really enjoyed the 80s-ness of the whole thing. Yes. Because I'm you know, a terrible 80s child and I love anything that you know looks like or references the 80s <laughs> it's the whole atmosphere of it and it's extreme it's an extremely 80s film isn't it mm. there's no particularly stuff like the special effects yeah there's or nothing more 80s. lightning yeah. all over the place like the, the lightning and yeah whatever yeah so Ghostbusters. yes the clouds the sort of the i feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves slightly but like <laughs> towards the end of because of their um hijinks with space and time there is essentially like a massive tunnel in the sky, which we referred to repeatedly as the devil's anus. Because we are adults. Yes. It's so gross. And everything's being sucked up into the devil's anus. And that <laughs> that cloud effect with the lightning going around it is so purely 80s. I just loved it. So it's... like in, like you said, Highlander, Ghostbusters as well is mm. very much uh, in that. And look, I'm sure loads of other 80s films. But uh, I just like I loved all of that stuff. I also loved all of the clothes they were wearing in the eighties, like the uh, the main woman's jumper. She had like a oh, really God, chunky yeah, yeah. blue knit jumper on with a brooch on it, and I just loved it. And her hair was amazing. And in fact, her hair caused us to misidentify her. Yeah, because uh, she she was definitely that woman from the Star Trek <laughs> for the voyage. <laughs> but yeah, we thought that it was the annoying woman from um, Voyage Home. <laughs> We both thought that, didn't we? And it, yeah. that was not true. It was the, in fact, the lady from Robocop. Yes, uh, one, two, and three. Whose name I am looking at? Nancy Allen. Her name Nancy was, Allen's and right. she was great in Robocop. So I feel bad for that, but I think she is purely because she had the same, same sort of hair, hair, and, yeah, and a familiar face, and that's where we went to was Voyage Home. Sorry, Nancy Allen. <laughs> Sorry, Nancy Allen. Other things that I really enjoyed about it was the uh, the product placement. Well, I think they had like, they drank a lot of Coca-Cola. There was a lot of Coca-Cola going on. Coca-Cola. Um, even, Coca even in the 40s. There was some Coca-Cola. There was like, can you get me a Coke? And he came back and said, here is your Coke. And so then they held it up to the screen for a while and smiled. <laughs> here is it. Although, to be fair to them, I suppose that is kind of a nice, a, a nice way of indicating that time has moved on. So you have the lady drinking her coca-cola in a glass bottle mm. and then when they get to the 80s they literally pick up a can of coke don't they and they're like oh my yeah. god what is this made of it's so light <laughs> so it's aluminum it kind of works but also just the amount of coke that was drunk in that film was incredible <laughs> Must have been a <laughs> yeah so i really enjoyed the the as i put down in my notes loving the slice of 80s culture <laughs> Because I love it. There, there's um, obviously an element of uh, kind of you know, the fish out of water. There's the 40s mm -hmm. guys in, in the 80s is going on. That was actually toned down a lot. There was a, a lot more planned of like them being astounded and oh, okay. shocked and, you know, like, you know, astonished even yes. by everything going on that's all, all modern and everything. But they kind of, I, I can't remember the reason why now, but that, that was kind of toned down so they could get on with the, the story. The dual story. Yeah, yeah. which I don't, I don't know if it would be more endearing if they'd done that more or whether they mm. made the right choice and sort of like cut back on that shit. Do you know what? I There were some parts of it that I really appreciated where they did make an attempt to show how traumatic it would be to be sort of 
unrooted from time and then chucked 40 years in the future. Mm. So, like, um, there's a few occasions when the main character, either the main guy, David, um, is becomes really upset. and Or, you know, he either loses his rag and becomes very angry or he cries. And I, I thought to myself watching it, we don't see that that much anymore, you know? Like, we're so used to time travel movies and, you know, time travel stories and stuff that it's almost like because we're used to it, the characters don't react perhaps as realistically as you would, you know, but he genuinely is really kind of upset by things. Mm. Um, like when they, they go at one point to look up the place where his father worked as a, you know, like a mechanic, but also a racer. Oh yeah. Yeah, like yeah. Yeah. And they see, you know, they see some photos <clears throat> of his father on the, on the wall of the garage uh, and some of the photos include him as well. And he becomes really upset. And I just thought that was a really nice kind of touch because mm. you would be, you would be, you know, confused and upset by all of it. So it kind of rounds at home. So I don't think, I, I, in, in the story, didn't his dad die not that long ago? Yeah, he had died like a few years past. Yeah. So he had only just missed him in a way. Mm. So that was, yeah, that was kind of sad. And also they made a point of um, the female character at that point, Alison had kind of been sort of humouring him up until that point because she's a, a good soul, <laughs> I think. And then when she sees the photo of him on the uh, on the garage wall with her dad, she's with his dad, she's like, oh, my God, you actually are from the past. <laughs> and that was kind of a neat moment as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like I like the, uh, the way it, that she actually buys into it when there's actual facts. Yeah. yeah. It, it, to start with, it's just kind of like almost a hostage situation, and then just <laughs> yeah. going on with. I it mean, it's anyway. not the most romantic beginning for a relationship, is it? No, no, but they get there, they work it out. <laughs> which, which, which is the other thing: the um, there wasn't going to be a love story in the original mm. when, when they originally uh, sort of pitched and, and, and started writing it. That that was tacked on later. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if that's because that was what was expected out of films at the time, or whether they felt that that would serve the film better to have that grounding, like to give him a mm. reason to do that, to have like an emotional kind of yeah. connection to what's going on around him and give him a bit of a, something to come back to. Yeah, I think that, I, to be honest, I feel like it worked better with some kind of, you know, emotional foundation to it. Otherwise it's just a couple of boys fucking about, really. Isn't it? Yeah, and one of them fucks off quite early as well, doesn't he? The yeah. Jimmy. No, not his fault. <laughs> not his fault, I no. kept getting electrocuted. He get, repeatedly <laughs> electrocuted himself, which... I don't know, you know, he's obviously got some health and safety issues there. <laughs> um, and he eventually gets zapped back to uh, the past, yeah, he's, leaving he's, David behind. Fades out, doesn't he, in all that fake electric 80s-ness. <laughs> yeah. Sounds out, but that's that's an, an, another good thing I really, really appreciated. Because you don't really know what's happening to him until, until it's kind of discovered that he's actually gone back into the past. Yeah. And then you meet him as an old man in the present. Mm. So that's another that's another thing I love about time travel. It's sort of like he, he went round the long way. It's sort of like, you know, I only saw you like five minutes ago and said, yeah, yeah it's been decades for me, mate. And yeah, and again, they kind of made the point of saying this would be a traumatic thing if it happened to you. So the, the mm. old, you know, the old Jimmy didn't want to speak to David at all. Because, no, he's pretty freaked out. Yeah, because he had been told that, you know, he was mad. For even coming up with, you know, even saying any of that stuff had happened. Yeah. So, 
Although there was one thing I didn't understand, and maybe you will be able to explain it to me. But when they've gone and uh, Jimmy is talking to his wife and his mm. wife is like, why didn't you want to speak to David? And Jimmy says something like, you know, I can't, I can't speak to him because he's got all of that to come and I feel really bad for him. It was like he was really upset for David but, and mm. it kind of indicated that something terrible was going to happen to David in the end. And was, but well, but it didn't. <laughs> maybe not. I mean, there's, there's still more for him to do, so he couldn't really talk to him. Because there, there was um, the whole thing about the um, spoilers, the ship going back. Oh yeah. So he, Jimmy must have known about that and and, and yeah. heard what had happened, which he must have figured out hadn't happened yeah. yet to that David. Yeah. So but... there's 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 all that that trauma. It's like it, it's. Uh, yeah, considering what happened when the boat came back as well. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not sure if he knew precisely what happened to David. Maybe he he was like one of the unlucky ones who got killed when the boat came back. Yeah. I guess it's one of those time travel things, isn't it? When I I try and think about it in any detail, and I, I my brain stops. <laughs> um, but ultimately, David goes and finds the scientists who've been fucking about, basically, and they reveal that in the, the um, devil's anus uh, in the sky, the ship is still there. And so is the town that disappeared when they were doing these experiments. Because the whole thing was caused by them repeating the experiments in the 80s. <laughs> yes. So that, that, that created a wormhole. In the space-time continuum, yeah. it, they clashed and it created a wormhole that is called, in this house... The devil's anus. Although I've <laughs> and just noticed in my notes, I've put sky anus... Or, if you will, Scanus. 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 If you will. Uh, the Sky Anus. Uh, so, in the end, David had to go in a spacesuit. Yeah. This is probably my favourite <laughs> bit, actually, of the whole film, is that he gets driven out into the middle of where all these, these weather phenomena are happening in like what looks like the Mako from Mass Effect. And he gets into a <laughs> no. spacesuit and they open like the hatch on the top and he just pops out of it and shoots straight up the devil's anus. It's just, it's a very serious moment in the film, but Absolutely. it's inadvertently hilarious because he sort of just opens the, the uh, sunroof. sunroof. He opens the sunroof of the Mako and he just pops up. Goes, <laughs> Um, and then he and then he somehow manages to land on the ship, but I think there's some weird um, space-time continuing thing. Yeah, because he was drawn to it, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah he, he was drawn like, to where he was. Fades out and fades back in on the ship. Yeah, right next to young Jimmy. Yeah, and um, we're explaining this film in a very confused really, manner. Really? Yeah, sorry. sorry <laughs> you will probably have to watch it to make any sense <laughs> of it at all. Uh, and then he basically goes and shuts all the nonsense down so everybody goes back to where they were. So, yeah, that's the end of the film, I suppose. Pretty much. And then it turns out that he doesn't go back to the 1940s, which is handy no. because he's started snogging um, Alison. From Robocop. From Robocop, who's very glad to have him back. Yeah. Which is fair enough yeah. because he's a very beautiful man. And he's got 80s hair already. <laughs> yeah. I d he's not an actor I recognise, but I can imagine... He might have had a big career of being pretty in 80s movies. I'm not sure. Possibly, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not really that. I should have looked. up. The Philadelphia Experiment, starring some people. Some people <laughs> who are not from Star Trek. 
<laughs> um, oh yeah, the other thing that I wrote down was that there are some great weird effects when he goes into the wormhole. Um, some sort of, you said it was like, is it the time tunnel? Oh yeah. Um, and some like weird hexagons and stuff going on in there. Yeah, it went a bit 2001 as well. So yeah, yeah they, they really um, put their budget into that bit. <laughs> Which is, you know... <laughs> When, whenever we're talking about films from the early 80s, I always think, and this is probably slightly unfair, that Star Wars was made how many years before that? Like seven years before, six or seven years before <laughs> the Philadelphia Experiment. You think about what Star Wars looked like and then yeah. you look at that and it's like, oh, okay. Which is unfair, really, because <laughs> Star Wars, you know, is its own little anomaly. Uh, oh yeah, my other note that I wrote was that at the end, you kind of briefly, or near the end, you briefly see what's happened to some of the sailors on the ship who have been um, kind of partially fused with the hull. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, the aftermath of um, sorting everything out, the the town from the eighties goes back to where it was, the ship from the forties goes back to where it was, but with disastrous consequences. Yeah, know. I thought that was. That was. It was a real, real, real kind of shock. It was real sort of like yeah. shock, downer ending. To, to <laughs> so everything's yeah, everything's back to normal, and there's like arms and torsos and hanging out of the ship. Yeah, they're still really, half alive. And, uh, really dark, uh, like a, suddenly a yeah. really dark sort of horror bit. It was has been dropped into this, quite you know. What if that's the John Carpenter um, influence? Was it John Carpenter or facts? 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 It's time for facts. Facts? Facts? I thought. Was it not Jim Cameron you were talking about? No. Oh. No, John, John Carpenter was the um, who wrote the original screenplay. Oh, okay. For, for this and was uh, credited as an executive producer, even though he didn't really do much on it in the end and never even met the director. Yeah. Is it time for facts? Because I've got the facts. Uh, yeah, yeah. Why not? <laughs> I think we're probably into that section. It's facts with Marty. Well, the, the the film was actually based on a um, a conspiracy <laughs> thing. Oh um, yes, so the original um, kind of tin foil hat idea, which came from some time ago, I think. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The Philadelphia experiment is an alleged military experiment supposed to have been carried out by the U.S. Navy at the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard sometime around October twenty eighth, nineteen forty three. The U.S. Navy destroyer escort, USS Eldridge, was claimed to have been rendered invisible, cloaked... For Star Trek fans. ...to enemy <laughs> devices. Yes, which I think is largely thought to be a load of old nonsense by pretty much everyone yeah. now. But the, um, the, uh, one of the things goes is the lack of evidence is proof that it's being covered up. <laughs> <laughs> I love that sort of thing, yeah. Definitely, definitely happened because it's completely bananas. So, yeah, John Carpenter wrote the original draft. He called it a great shaggy dog story. Oh. Absolute bullshit, but what a great story. <laughs> which, which, yeah, which is entirely true. It's a, such a great idea. Why wouldn't you make a film out of it, you know? <laughs> God bless John Carpenter. The director was Stuart Raffel, who is a British screenwriter and film director. He is best known for directing classics such as Mannequin 2, On the Move, as well as Mac and Me. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Mannequin 2, On the Move. Great. I don't think I've ever seen that. No, no, no. Not at all. No, no. 
I don't think anyone has. He Have also, you seen also, Mac and Me? No, <laughs> no one has. He also says that uh, by the time he became involved with the film, the script had been rewritten, rewritten nine times. I think that, yeah, I think that's kind of standard for Hollywood, isn't it? I think. Uh, yeah, it's probably more these days, isn't it? Yeah, I feel like probably writers in Hollywood are the sort of people who have to really let go of the idea of their writing being, you know, their precious mm. baby because it's going to be chopped up and um, reconstituted into a Frankenstein baby um, several times over. So I remember reading um, Simon Pegg interview about his Star Trek experience about writing the screenplay oh, for that. Oh, is that Star Trek Beyond? And the amount of times that that had to go through rewrites because, like, such studio interference, you know, it, it would have given me a nervous breakdown. Oh, yeah. I mean, having worked in uh, a marketing department for a little while <laughs> and being, the, you know, being, being the copywriter where things, you know, things get passed around a meeting and everyone has their opinion and then you have to go away and, and redo it 8,000 times, I feel like I might know what that feels like a little bit. But it must be so much harder when it's something that you really care about, you know. Absolutely. In terms of a story that you've really poured your heart and soul into <laughs> and then seeing it chopped up and flung Destroyed. around. Destroyed. Destroyed. Like, you know, I didn't think Star Trek Beyond was that bad. I quite enjoyed it. I it turned out all right in the yeah. end as it goes. I liked it. My, my last fact. Okay. Um, at the time of its release, it had a fastest theatrical to video window. In film history, it opened oh. in August. Was released on video in October. <laughs> Blimey, that's well, probably it's probably still in the record books. Bad, I don't know. Yeah, but for such a great, I mean, did doing like online lookups for it. It's such a kind of well remembered and loved film. It's like I, yeah. I, I wish I'd, I'd watched it like as many times as I have. Back to the Future. Really? Do you no. really think that? No. 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 I would have killed you long ago to say. if that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> you know, weirdly, what it reminded me of, which is really unfair, is it reminded me of Howard the Duck. Really? Which, as I said, is completely unfair, but it's it's the the feeling of it, you know, that period in 80s cinema and a similar level of kind of special effects budget, I think, probably. Probably right. Yeah, which Do is unfair because Howard the Duck... Is a fucking terrible film. <laughs> it's not even. And before people say, "Oh, but it's it's fun because it's so bad," it's not. It's really not because we had to fucking watch it once, for probably for a podcast many years ago, and I'm still annoyed about it because it's genuinely rubbish. I'm sorry for any how the duck. Fans, I, I don't even wrong. know if it's my fault, but you keep waking up and punching me. <laughs> fucking That's how, for how the, the duck. duck. <laughs> There's one one more thing I wanted to quick quickly mention was about the the um, the guy playing David. Yes. What did he sound like? Oh yeah, that's the the last note that I made uh, on my note page was Rocky does time travel <laughs> because he sounds like Rocky. <laughs> but it's like a young, young um, Sylvester Stallone. More like understandable. It's been a long time since I've seen Rocky, but. We, but I, I immediately said to you, he sounds like, and you were immediately like, yeah. he sounds like, yeah, I know, Rocky. <laughs> and he does. And it's kind of, it's quite endearing, actually, I thought. It's, it suits him, I think. Yeah. It works. And we could understand him. Yes. And then I, I for some reason, dredged up 
uh, a fact I'd completely forgotten, which is that Rocky is set in Philadelphia, uh, which turned out to be true and not something I'd made up. So it kind of it makes sense, you know. Yeah. If we assume for some reason that David is from Philadelphia. <laughs> that was genuinely my last note. Oh, uh, Rocky does time travel. Hey. Uh, yeah. So, how do you think it matches up to other time travel films? I, th- I think it matches up quite well, really. If you look beyond the eightiesness of it, <laughs> there's there's a you know, the Shaggy Dog story. Yeah. But it's, it's an enjoyable one, and it, it tickles my my time travel boxes. Yeah. So it's it's doing you know it's not just using time travel as like a, a gimmick. It is genuinely kind of investigating it a little mm. bit and it's, it's the whole reason for the film <laughs> yeah yeah good so do we have any other trivia or thoughts about it i suppose not i suppose not only, only that it's there, there is a sequel there is a, oh. a remake with malcolm mcdowell it's like straight to telly um mm. by all accounts it's absolutely terrible <laughs> uh, I, th- I think that's about it for, for the legacy of it oh so what's the sequel called uh, it's called the Philadelphia Experiment Two. Oh, <laughs> is it the Philadelphia Experiment Two Electric Boogaloo? Because or experiment harder. <laughs> Philadelphia Experiment Two Citizens on Patrol, which is my favourite. <laughs> so, on the next episode of the Box Room Podcast, it's my turn again, and we'll be doing more folk horror, which. I haven't completely decided yet, but we might be doing Dog Soldiers, Ooh. which I think is probably a very tenuous um, link to folk horror, to be <laughs> honest. But I'm, I've am i decided to take it as terrible things happening in the countryside, which Fair enough. Is yeah, what, it fits yeah. the criteria. And we haven't seen it for years, and I think it would be quite funny to watch it again. Yeah, It's that or Midsummer, which is a bit like The Wicker Man, but... And a great film, but having kind of looked into it again, I've remembered quite how depressing it is. So perhaps we, perhaps we'll put that one to one side. Whereas Dog Soldiers is hilarious and has um, Who doesn't like that? Sean Pertwee in it. So don't hurt me. <laughs> so that might be the next episode that we do. Great, a bit yeah. for that. So, is there anything now that we come to the end of the episode? Is there anything you would like to plug or talk about, or anything that you've enjoyed recently? We both really enjoyed Greenland. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is despite thinking that we wouldn't. Yes. So we watched. This is Greenland, which is on Amazon Prime at the moment, I think, uh, to watch, and it's got Gerard Butler in it. And Our go-to disaster movie guy. Yes. Which is why we watched it. Let's be fair, because he was in Geostorm. Oh, it's, it's an amazing film. Which is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a film. <laughs> it's a film that we watched. <laughs> that's weirdly enjoyable mm-hmm. and he was also in those other um oh what are they called london has fallen and yeah and such oh vic are fallen <laughs> yeah like that but with a really big budget <laughs> which are extremely dubious films for another a number of reasons but we do quite like gerald butler so yeah so we did watch greenland and it turns out it's actually quite good so i didn't know he was scottish no, I didn't know it was Scottish at all until suddenly the Scottish accent in this film and we yeah. were very confused by it. So Greenland is about uh, a comet, isn't it? Or a Yeah, it's a comet. Hitting Broken the planet. Up and it's hitting the planet in different 
chunks yes. of varying destructive power. Yes, which, when you think about it, actually is a is a, a subject that's been done a couple of times before, um, particularly, I guess, in the late 90s, we had um, Armageddon, Armageddon yeah. and, the, and Deep Impact, mm. which I've never seen, actually. Really? Because every time I think, shall I watch Deep Impact? I just watch Armageddon again. <laughs> because it is ridiculous and brilliant. So oh, let's put that on the list. Yeah. To watch at some point. Oh, we should do a disaster movie. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Um, I love disaster movies. <laughs> but Gre- yeah, Greenland manages to. I, f- I feel like it manages to do um, a good job of making it feel fresh. The idea of a, you know. Uh, a comet or an asteroid mm. wiping out the earth and it's genuinely one of the most stressful films i've ever watched i think what they've managed to put in it is is a lot more actual humanity than mm. a, a lot of disasters tend to do it's like there, there's like evidence of like them going back to help people yeah there's evidence of like fighting for your actual life and the disastrous consequences that that happens and the way it affects you yes um so that there is consequences for actions it's not just one action scene and then move on and they're all fine and yes yeah and at the end they're all together and everything's fine because like there's always going to be that trouble that got them there yeah i did think that at the time that they they go out of their way to show people not just being the usual sort of shits that you see on a (laughs) you know disaster movie where everyone's out for themselves and what have you but actually people being nice to each other and being kind and sort of being compassionate because you're all basically fucked so i really enjoyed that aspect of it and it made it feel a lot more real it is a disaster movie so it is on some level slightly over the top but i actually thought it was really good and i enjoyed it a lot me too. So, so yeah, that's yeah, Greenland. Well done, Greenland. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's worth watching if you're in the mood. Although I do, I, I had to say, actually, I felt like it was more emotionally affecting because I feel that because we are now living in a world where mm. we know what it's like <laughs> to have a worldwide event that causes a lot of, um, you know, terrible things and distress. Yeah. So it, I think that made it a lot harder to watch. Because you feel you now, we now have experience of something that affects everyone the whole world over. There's a much more personal element that's being invoked. Yeah. So you know, maybe don't watch it if you're feeling especially fed up with lockdown. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Wait a bit and. No, I do feel worse about it. <laughs> I think we've also been watching a sitcom on Netflix called Superstore. Yep, that's that was on my list as well. We, we got a dual list. <laughs> yeah, basically the same list. Yes, so Superstore is a sitcom set in what I believe is called a big box store in the States. So those sort of really huge um, kind of supermarkets that they have. And it is very much like uh, Trolleyed, the UK supermarket. Yeah, spiritual sister. Yes. Trolleyed, definitely. We're surprised that they're not linked, that they haven't. Yes. had some creative input into each other. Yeah, I was I was convinced that it was like a remake of Trolley because mm. it was so similar. But apparently it's not. I'm not sure um, whether that's dodgy or not. But Is that the official line they're giving? Mm-hmm. But ultimately it was quite enjoyable and we're, we're, we're liking it. 
Is there anything else on your list? Do you um, on my list, I also had um, last podcast on the left, which is a podcast I found on Spotify, which is uh, essentially some blokes talking about lots of really dark, scary things. So, uh, for example, this part that I just watched was watched, listened <laughs> to, was about the family. Yeah, with your ears. <laughs> yeah. It was about John List, the family annihilator from the 70s. Um, and now I'm listening to one about a um, Mexican serial killer. So it's a lot of dark stuff, basically. <laughs> but it's, it's really... <laughs> yeah, it's definitely my bag, but it's very funny as well. Also quite offensive on a number of levels. So I don't <laughs> necessarily recommend it to everyone, but I've been enjoying it, basically. The only other thing I have to big up and recommend is my book, which which I've just had the proofs for. It's called Dog Rose Dirt, and it's um, a serial killer thriller because I am into that sort of thing. It's um, a thing with you. I know. Sorry. It's just <laughs> really interesting. Um, so Dog Rose Dirt is out in uh, the UK in July on the 22nd. So I've just got the proof copies in, which is very exciting. It um, looks wonderful. It looks really cool, yeah. The cover looks so nice. So, yeah, so as ever, I am... Asking you all to go out and buy that, please, because we need to pay our rent. Yes, and feed the cats. And feed the cats. Don't stuff our cats. Yeah, so that's it. That's all I have to say. So that's That's it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. I've been Marty. And I've been Jen. All the best. Cheerio. See you on the next one. Come with us. Come with us. We're going to change the world. You'll be amazed. So Motherfucker! Sit, Ubu, sit. Good dog.